welcome to your daily game face. I'm Dr. Kim Lannon. I'm here with redheaded Lou Blase. I'm not red. You are okay. Is it still red? Well, today, listeners, in the land of what color is <laughs> Lou's hair? Well, Lou's hair has now transformed to a dark, rustic, brownish red on top, and his mustache now is mm, beard. Well, your mustache is not the same color as your beard. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm giving the part by part. Give it two or three days. Okay. Nothing matches the eyebrows. Yep. Well, and yeah, yeah. the mustache is a slight derivative. What are you going to do? <laughs> I can't help it. What are you going to do? When I walked in today, literally, I, I went, oh. <laughs> I'd forgotten I'd got it colored on Friday, I think it was. No, it was, yeah, Friday, I think. And I had to explain that I'm not being mean. It's just so striking when I see you that I can't help but not go. Oh! Yeah. <laughs> so I'm sorry. I don't I'm even not, look anymore I'm when really I go to shower sorry. after she does it. I just, yeah. It looks fine. It's just, it's ever-changing. I know. And it's, so it's shocking every time I see it. I shouldn't be shocked at this point. Yeah. But, you know, maybe shocking next week, to me. like a bright yeah. white stripe down the middle oh i like it yeah no it's shocking to me too anyway i did not especially the beard when it's first done i don't oh. I, don't, I don't like the beard when it's first done i looks like a halloween i think costume. we need to i think we need to have a whole show on advocating for oneself <laughs> or not i, I do okay <laughs> just not on this particular front okay yeah so this morning i did not fall we'll do a show on picking your battles instead uh, yes well, we can do that too. Same kind of thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I did not fall. I was not underneath the trash can this morning. Good. I um did think about it a lot as I was walking up the driveway, though. Is John out there with a scorecard? Yeah. Um, no, but he did find it funny because he was doing other things, and I was, <laughs> <laughs> you know. But I did find a beautiful little bobcat print in the snow. Oh. So I was out there taking pictures and I had to laugh at myself because the bobcat prints that were perfect were on my staircase that went up to my front stoop. Oh. And unbeknownst to me, because we have not cleared that <laughs> staircase, it's all ice underneath. And I stepped on it and I was <laughs> <laughs> So I had a almost a reprieve of last Wednesday when yeah. I was trying to take pictures of this stupid bobcat print. But I've got beautiful little bobcat prints now. So you got bobcats on your porch. Yes. I had little little bobcat prints all like the whole perimeter of my house. So something must have been good because there's probably little chippies and mice and who knows what else. I don't think we have bobcats. I've never heard of bobcats. We have coyotes and they're all over the place. Yeah, that's right? not a bobcat. Yeah. But, but there's bobcats up at your at Plum Island. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe not on. I've never heard of it on a, on a settled end. Anyway. Do you know Maybe how, the you know how I know that yeah. there's bobcats up in Plum you, Island? You've seen prints? Um, we have seen prints in mm -hmm. the winter, but when we were walking along the dunes, along the, you know, when you, so for listeners to get a picture, the dunes at Plum Island are huge yep. and you, you're not supposed to go in past a certain point or up past them because it ruins them, whatever. And the piping plovers. Because of the piping plovers. Damn but piping at some plovers. point in my history of going there, because people do this, you know, you sometimes violate the boundary as people do and whatever. Nonetheless, I won't go into that very far, but I have a beautiful... We can no longer associate. You know that, right? Okay. <laughs> now that you've said that. Okay. Yeah. Um, good thing you're my producer. Yeah. I have a beautiful, fully intact skull of a bob. Oh. With teeth and all. And it's in my guest bathroom, beautifully preserved, and it's gorgeous. How could that happen? There are people all over those dudes. Well, no, because it's, it was it was further in. I know. Don't ask. I know, but you weren't the first person who went there. <laughs> I know. Trust me. Well, and I have to say, in defense of myself, I actually was the lookout because I wasn't willing to get in trouble. So I sent the other person in to look. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm buying that, biting it, buying that totally. Yep. He was he was a willing participant in getting in trouble. So I was not. So I was the lookout. But anyway, um, he was going in to actually, you know, go to the bathroom, pee. Okay. Yeah. You know, like people do at the beach. Oh, well, fine. There you go. And but in the process, he found it, and it's a bobcat skull. And so clearly, and there's so many, there's millions of acres over there in that yeah. rain at the refuge. So, yeah. So I have this beautiful bobcat skull, and I was 
floored when he came over and said, look what I found. And I thought, oh, my God. The reason I'm surprised is I haven't seen 30,000 photos of bobcats on Plum Island well, and 30,000 posts. And well, all because they're very elusive. So yeah. it'd be hard to see. Like, I have the two in my backyard that I know. And I only know because I obsessively watch all the life, the wildlife in my backyard. Yeah. And you wouldn't see it. And oh, well, I have trail cams, too. So yeah. I know they're there. But you wouldn't see them. They're very, they're very stealthy and they're cats. So mm. they're you know, nocturnal and they are out in the day sometimes, but they are very stealthy. It's not good. Cause they'd eat my dog alive and he no, wouldn't care. See, see now yeah. you are one of those people that are wrong. You have misinformation. <laughs> generally the case. Yeah. This is not accurate information. Yeah. Bobcats will, will eat your dog only, only if, and they will take down a deer only if they're absolutely starved and their babies are, you know, all that. Yeah. It is a, over the top rarity for something like that to happen. Bobcats are very specific to bunnies and squirrels and, um, you know, little creepy crawly, like little mammal creatures. Yep. You know, no, there's plenty of those, uh, you know, birds, obviously yeah. chipmunks, gophers, like things like that, that are much more bite size. Um, and because people are always like, Oh, get your dogs in, get your cats in. Yeah, they'll attack them, but it, those are under the extreme duress and under different things. Because yeah. this is a constant. I see people post in the wildlife of name the town and oh, look at the bobcat. And immediately all these people chime in with, oh, my God, make sure you don't go out. Bring your children. And bobcats don't do that. Okay. So good. And I can say that I, I can say this as, an, as a semi-expert on this, considering that I do work with the staff and I am the staff psychologist at big cat rescue in Florida. And I might have a thing or two of knowledge around bobcats. Excellent. Well, <laughs> there's plenty saying. of rabbits, plenty of squirrels, so they should be fine. Right. So we have a front, we have a crime scene at the, at the house now. Oh, what Hawk took out? What uh, a seagull There's There's a bunch of seagull feathers. Oh, and a pile and no seagull. Oh, you know what? I bet I bet a snowy owl took it. That's what I was thinking. A snowy owl exactly. probably took it because yeah. snowy owls. People don't realize how big snowy owls are, and yeah. they will take. They will go head to head with an eagle. Oh, will they? Mm -hmm. Wow. They'll fight with an eagle, and they fight for territory and food with um the ravens up on the point too. Oh. I know this because I sit and watch for hours. <laughs> <laughs> There's my expertise on that one too. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but I bet that was a snowy owl taking out the seagull because they're very. Yep. I've seen, I saw two weeks ago, not in person, but on someone's video from up with you, this, a snowy owl took a duck right out of the water. Oh, goodbye. goodbye. Out of the water. Right. Like wow. plucked it right out of the water. <laughs> so anyway, so this show is not about the wildlife. <laughs> Although we're turning it, it's not about your hair on your head and wildlife of <laughs> West Newberry. It's about health and wellness. Yeah, and and last you. week, by yeah. the way. People loved the show. And I have to say that at the end of the show, Lou gave me yeah. feedback, which I'm going to debunk now because I gave Lou's you feedback last week at the end of the show was, you know, you were very doctory and you were talking very specifically like a yeah. doctor more than like reaching the audience about codependency. Well, I got lots of feedback about how it was so cool to hear about codependency. <laughs> so it, it, well, it invalidated you, but validated me. Because I I'm turned you during the show. That was my. You, you, you what? I turned you during the show. You did. Calm that down. But so nonetheless, yeah. I really want to go back because I love being personable, as you know, and I love chit chat and I love having like my audience love the shows. So really quickly for everyone's reference, codependency, if you need a definition, codependency, the way I make sure I describe it to people is um, it is relationship addiction. Okay. Right. Yep. Yep. So at its very base. Now, all the things I talked about last week, that fills those spaces of what it is, but it's really addiction to relationship. Whether it's to, I mean, all addiction starts at that level because we don't start out with alcohol or gambling when right. we're yeah. four. We start out with how are we making attachments? How are we making connections? How are we making separation, rejection, inferiority complexes, self-esteem issues, fractures in our ego? All those things have to do with, they come from relating or lack of relating or somewhere in between. So when codependency really comes down to a definition, it's relationship addiction and then the disconnect because addiction is 
disconnect, right? You're disconnecting from something, but you're connecting in with relating to something else. So does that make sense? Yes. Okay. And, and you're making decisions that are not personally good in order to preserve the relationship. Right. Yeah. With with whatever the relationship is. So, but right at the very base core is, so if you're a person that doesn't have an ism like towards a substance, but you're a person who like can't, and I listed all those things last week, you can't be alone. You feel like you can't make a decision without the other person validating your decision-making and you can't advocate and you'll do things for others before you do things for yourself. And you, you fall on that list. Well, it's because you're addicted to the relationship and fear of losing that relationship. Therefore, you will go and do the things that you need to. Right. Same with the alcohol and substances and eating and sex and gambling and blah, 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 blah. You suspend self-care and, yep. and boundaries to preserve the relationship. Yes. Yeah. Right. So for everyone that was not clear on that last week, that is my clearing point is that that's really what it was. And if you go back and listen to last week and you didn't feel like you got it completely, now that may be helpful to um, wrap that back around. I'm in this room and I'm starting to have, <laughs> it's, and people asked me that last week too. They're like, what's in the room that you keep getting congested? I don't know. I think we need to do a deep clean of the, the sponges in the wall that make it soundproof. See this? Okay, I'm going to start to itch. Deep Something clean? How would, how would you clean? I, no, I don't know. Anyway. We'll discuss it. So did you So did you assess all your codependencies in your life last week after the show? <laughs> I, my only, right now I feel like my only uh, disproportioned relationship is with uh, conflict aversion. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. my thing. Yes. I sacrifice good judgment to avoid conflict. Oh. And sacrifice boundaries sometimes to avoid conflict. I'm at the point in my life, I just want peace. I know. Well, yeah. I think that's a good point to have. But then yeah. if you're sacrificing parts of you that would <laughs> to get that peace and then you end up with resentments on the backside, then we have a whole nother issue. You know that, right? Yeah, no, I understand. Oh. All right. I struggle with that boundary. Okay. Well, and so that's part of codependency as yeah. well, is the is boundaries. <laughs> what? I'm just, laughing at? I'm just laughing because you, you're like, you got all the right words. Yeah. Cause boundaries and so boundaries don't have to always do with codependency. Well, actually they do boundaries and codependency go hand in hand. But if we're just talking about not codependency and just saying, Hey, people cross my boundaries, that can be a lot of different things. That's yeah. narcissism. That's, um, you know, toxicity in relationships. Um, there's all kinds of, but that's know, a key element of mental health is establishing and maintaining your own boundaries. Right. And there are all these, uh, addiction is the prime one that, you know, obviously we give up all our good judgment for addiction. Right. Whatever the addiction is. Right. And, and the substance of addiction that we're talking about here is our relationships, interpersonal relationships. Right. So on on that note, I had a couple notes today to talk about, about um, something on a, on a personal note in terms of advocating for oneself. Um, when you have, a, this is a really quick aside because it's about codependency and how systems, remember last week I talked about how systems like hospitals and schools and they can breed sometimes the, the family dynamic of codependency. If you're listening today and you're out in the world and whether you're 90 or you're 25, remember that you have the right no matter what to make choices for yourself. And if you are um, not in a right mind or in a right state of mind, even if you don't realize that and you have other family members around you or friends that can help you or can advocate for you, make sure that you employ that for yourself because so many times there's a lot of unhealthy people in those systems, you know, we'll say like, hey, hospital systems that will think for you and then put it on you as if it's your own choice when in fact in your right state of mind, you probably wouldn't have made that choice because they've convinced you in some subtle way that, you know, by gaslighting you essentially, that this is the right choice for you. And then in retrospect, you end up having a bigger problem out in the world after this choice has been made that you wouldn't have had you known better. Yep. Um, advocate. And if you can't advocate for yourself or you feel like you can't, make sure you have someone that can for you or sign over something, at least a temporary, to have someone do that for you because the codependency of, um, I need you to need me to need you in hospital systems and or in other family systems is so striking sometimes. It can be very damaging and people can get into a space where they can make a lot of um, 
wrong decisions under the auspice of that it is their decision and choice, but in fact, it was put on them and it was pressured on them and coerced. Yeah, I don't want to paint the medical profession because I, I believe a lot of times it's not necessarily intentional, but there's a power imbalance here right. that leads to these type of decisions. Mm -hmm. The doctor says something and well, for example, we all know the classic thing. You have an injury, you go to a surgeon, they recommend surgery. Right. You go to a physical therapist, they recommend physical therapy. Right. And you make a decision based oftentimes on the authority of the doctor. Right. And may not be the right one. You have right. to explore your options. Right. And and I would have to say, and if any of my patients are listening, which they do, I am always of the mind, and, and I say this with pride, that I try to do a holistic, whole system approach. And not just because, hey, you come to me for psych, I'm just going to be like, well, it's a psych issue. It's I go right down like, let's check, make sure all the medical things are clear. Make sure all these other familial things are clear. Make sure we're looking at all the systems so that where they need to be addressed, they're addressed so that it's not just one size fits all. And and because I said so, it is. I want someone to make sure they go out and, you know, if I, and I say, hey, this medication does this. Did you know that? And they usually say, no, I didn't know that. Yeah. And I say, go do some education research. Here's some good, healthy websites that are not related to Dr. Wikipedia and Dr. Google that actually have information that would inform you so that you have a better way of informing yourself because people so blindly just go, okay. Or sometimes people are so in, in so much pain themselves in that moment that a doctor in a power differential will say, well, you know, we could fix that. All you have to do is take this. And a person's just like, I just want to be out of the pain, so I'll do it. But 10 days later, they would have said, I would have written that out. I yep. would have held now I'm now I'm stuck because now I'm stuck on this thing. Um, so I think I think that's such an important piece for people to hear that you have to you have the right to advocate and to really stand up for what you want and what you need. And in times where you might not be making your best decisions, have someone in your corner to help you so that you don't get yourself in trouble because there's a power differential there. And it's not just about med. That's why I said school systems do it. Sure. Medical yep. systems do it. Businesses and companies do it because there's power differentials. And that was the point. But given that I'm in the medical field and I'm, I watch this happen quite frequently and, and of late, I've watched it a lot more. Um, and it's just so striking how, um, coercive and pressuring, um, and ego-driven sometimes medical professionals can be. And, uh, and I'm always putting myself in check to make sure that I'm not doing that. And oftentimes they don't have time for education. They are right. run, right. you know, they're stretched to the limit and it's like, no, take this pill. And yeah, I can't, I can't explain this to you. Right. right now, I don't have time. And but that a inherently is a problem because sure. that, that should be a sign that if I don't have time and I, and I, and I always have time, I will take the extra time, go over on people's other people's time to make sure that the person in my office is getting exactly the information they need so that they don't feel one dismissed, invalidated, or that they're being pushed on something um, because I said so. Yep. It's just not right to do to somebody. But I'm, I'm facing it right now with the high blood pressure diagnosis and I'm going through and I have my PA who I'm getting most of my advice through. And it's difficult getting other opinions to balance off things because, yeah, I know, uh, because uh, you go to WebMD or something and they'll scare the crap out of you and, and they take you down because a rabbit hole. your eyes hole. will bleed, they'll fall out of your head, you'll die. Yeah. But they'll take you down a rabbit hole that isn't, you know, that they don't have the personal information on you. Exactly. To give you great information. They're right. going to give you general information and they're going to tell you, you know, you're going to die in 10 minutes, basically <laughs> is what they're going to tell you. Well, and that's, and that's, so that's one of the pieces that, that I do in my integrated practice, right? Is that I'm able, that I'm able to look at someone's history and that's what people, Yeah. it would be nice if people were doing that is take the person's history and really look at what really needs to be instead of just being like, well, this is the standard protocol. So that must be what we follow. That's not necessary for each person, it may be for a majority because when they do those studies or you read about those things or you hear about the commercials on TV, they say this is for good for everybody. And, you know, yeah. it's it's because it's been generalizable because it's been researched and it's been tested out enough that, yes, it would work. But given certain histories like you don't you don't give um, I'll use an example of you don't give an opiate to an opiate addict who has not used opiates in years because they choose not to as a way to like calm them down, knowing that they would say no. 
in their right mind because you didn't bother to look at their history, but you think that that's the standard protocol of treatment because the yeah. medical model right now is doing the, um, you know, the MAT treatment, you know, so, you know, met, you know, yeah. do no harm and harm reduction model. Well, for some people that's actually harmful. And just because it's in a standard protocol doesn't mean it's the standard protocol for that particular person. And it's almost worse with like a teenage athlete, you're handing them opiates yep. when they have no background with opiates. You mm -hmm. have no idea what their reaction is going to be. Mm -hmm. it's, it seems, it seems irresponsible. It's it. Well, and so I've talked to you about my, my football players are notoriously getting hurt. Right. Yep. And the, I have one football player in particular that, that went pro last year and he we had like a three year run of they put him on this stuff. He'd come to me and say, what is it doc? And I'd be like, you can't be on that. You can't. And he'd be like, well, they didn't tell me. I'm like, yeah, right. Because he trusted that. And they weren't looking. They were like, we're just treating the problem. They're not thinking about, he has a football career. He can't be on that. It's a banned substance. Yeah. It's a, this like, and the power imbalance in his life, his coaches are right. encouraging him to control the pain, to get back on the field. Exactly. So yeah. he has it coming from the doctor side and he has it coming from the other side. Right. And, and this is a, this is a kid at the time who's, you know, he was playing on broken things yeah. Yeah. and wrapping and taping and medicated up. And I was like, this is, this is absolutely out of control. I told you my story. I had a small cosmetic surgery. I mean, 10 stitches on the face, which shows you how small it was. They gave me a seven day run of Vicodin. There like we a, go. This is a Tylenol problem. This mm -hmm. isn't a Vicodin problem, mm -hmm. you know, and I knew enough. I'm not taking this. You right. Know? But, but see, and when you, when you don't have someone that knows enough, they'll do it because they don't know. And there's many people, you know, people are like, how could people do that? And they know many people don't have the, the exposure rate and experience base to know about what those kinds of things do. They just don't have, they don't have anyone that's ever talked about it. They haven't been around it. They trust the doctor, et cetera, et cetera. And then on the other side, you have people that have to actively constantly who've had addiction issues. And I see patients going, I have you know, I have tons of recovering patients mm -hmm. that go in for surgeries or go in for things. And the doctors, they have to remind the doctors, like, I can't have that. I can't have that. Please don't give me that. Yeah. And, and I've had several cases in the last two years where the doc, they've gone under general anesthesia and the general, the anesthesiologist knowingly said, oh no, you'll be fine. And in fact, the medication the person was on was contraindicated, which we discussed with the anesthesiologist and it threw the person into withdrawal and ended them mm. into rehab Lord, yeah. for seven days because that minor little surgery with the under putting him under popped the medication that was in him to make him feel like he was going through withdrawal. I mean, this is, this is the, yeah. this is the problem. So it's about really advocating for yourself. Don't assume that a doctor knows you don't, don't just trust blindly like that. It's so important to say, well, what, why is this? If someone wants to do cognitive behavioral therapy with me and they come in and say, I don't want to do any of that mindfulness stuff and anything like that has to do with breathing techniques. I don't just say, well, this is the protocol. So this is why, and we're going to do it. I yep. listen and I say, okay, well, why don't you want to do that? Why hasn't it worked before? I typically don't do that as a standard protocol anyway. I do it in this order, but let's tailor it for you. And that's non-medicated, but it's still, it's still listening. It's and it's particularly listening. tough in your business because general practitioners, when my kid has attention issues, right? they prescribe a psychotropic and mm -hmm. it's like, they have no background on the kid. They have no idea of the underlying is by the way, they're only treating the symptom, not the problem. Exactly. And they're not going to, they can't, and they're not going to spend the time with a treatment. They're just going to patch it. They're going to throw a bandaid on it, a right. pharmaceutical bandaid, which should be the last resort for kids. Well, and, and that's, and, and that's one of my biggest struggles is when people come in and say, you know, this, you know, the, the, the teacher has said, you know, my, my kid needs to be on medication. Well, first of all, Teachers aren't supposed to be saying those things. Really? Well, that's, that's, that's enough, a, yeah, that's a huge boundary cross. And there's a whole nother, that's a whole nother show. Um, they and, can say, go talk to somebody, but they shouldn't be saying a kid should be oh, on medication. Well, yeah. You'd be surprised. Well, yeah. Maybe not. Um, and so I have to do a full education on like the family, you know, the family education, family rights act, <laughs> like <laughs> things that are allowed and not allowed to be, you know, and that they have rights. Um, but also that um, there's, you know, medication just because someone thinks your child is unruly or behaves uh, you know more hyper 
or because they might be more blurred out things or impulsive, that doesn't mean that they're diagnostically anything. It could just be that they're just a normal kid. And just because they're a normal kid and this teacher may have 20 of those or 10 out of the 20, they're like that, doesn't mean that we medicate it. And right. and I, I 26 years of doing this over and over. And even before that, my, my dad and mom have been in education for years. I used to hear stories coming up through growing up about, you know, kids just being thrown on medication because yeah. back in the day when Ritalin first came out, yep. if you remember, I mean, it was like, you know, like lifesavers. Yeah, exactly. Like, like just put any kid that has like a little bit of hyperactivity on. No hesitation at all. And, and, and it's yeah. so, you know, methylphenidate, which is, we'll have a quick story. I'm going to doctor mode now for a second. It's methylphenidate okay. is Ritalin and, mm -hmm. and it's, a, and also Concerta if you, if you guys know, right. So it's in that family. Um, but methylphenidate itself, Ritalin, it, it's a heavy hitting drug. And when you're developmentally brain developing, right. That was a lot of words around the same thing, <laughs> but when you're developing and you're at a youth age like that, and the brain isn't really fully developed until you're 23, you're putting in a stimulant that's not like caffeine. It's not like, you know, it is a very specific compound that binds itself to the receptors in your brain that are around how to maintain a level and balance around, you know, dopamine, uh, norepinephrine, uh, you know, your body movements, impulse control, serotonin, mm -hmm. so your frontal lobe. So I won't go into all the science about it, but it's not just you take it and it makes you feel like level. There's actual physiological changes in the brain that we know happen. And it's different when you're taking it when you're 25 versus when you're 12 or eight. I'm not a big fan of little kids being on that stuff. It's it's all behavioral modification that needs to happen. You have to teach your kids how to be able to have good body control, self-awareness, be able to um, speak with a softer voice. You teach them good manners the best they can, given that they're interrupters. There's tons of stuff. That's why there's really good, you know, um, ABA people, people that do behavioral analysis and put in functional assessments to be able to have a kid learn these strategies so that they're not just depending on a medication that's brain altering. Yeah. You know, I mean, all... Adderall, Concerta, Ritalin, Vyvanse, all of those addictive um, brain stimulants, they work on people who have the affliction of ADD, um, but they also change your brain. Yeah. And so does sugar, and so does caffeine, and so does nicotine, but not quite in the same way. And, and so it's super important that you as a parent know, here's advocacy again, knowing that, you know, and I, I have more and more of parents saying to me, like, I don't want my kid to be on medication like that. What can we do? And we put in dietary changes, exercise changes. We put in um, good visits to the doctor, making sure that, you know, all the blood levels for everything else are fine. And then, and then doing things that are behavioral in nature, the body control, impulse control techniques, being able to really manage oneself. And then on occasion, like some holistic things, you know, making sure good vitamin B, good complex, good vitamin, regular multivitamins, because it regulates the brain and it helps keep it like nice and neurogenerative. We start at the natural base so that a person doesn't feel like they don't have control in their lives, including kids. Kids should have a sense of like stability and not feel like, yeah, I, I have kids that will say, I don't want to be on that. Little kids. I'm like, okay. And we talk, you know, we're talking like nine, 10, 11. They're like, I don't like the way it makes me feel. Okay. So and we don't do that. You correct know? me if I'm wrong. As we get into the teenage years, there's a major renovation in the brain. There's yes. demolition and rebuild. Mm -hmm. And if you're on drugs, and this is why it's so much more dangerous to be on, uh, be addicted to drugs before the yes. brain forms at 23. Yes. Because it's basically like a contractor's drunk. He doesn't have all the right measurements. His right. brain is, he's not getting the rewiring is not getting a true reading on the brain. Exactly. So it's not doing the work correctly. Right. And it rewires the brain. And, and so... It, yes, yes, and yes, because that's such a great metaphor for how to look at it is about the rewiring is that that whole time between roughly 12, 13, right around puberty hitting, whenever that is for, yeah. you know, it's younger and younger, it feels like every year, but right around the puberty time up until like in the early 20s, the brain is is very intricately building and wiring itself to where it needs to go to really um be at its highest level of cognitive development, because once you get past that point, we actually go into decline. Yeah. And <laughs> so, at that point, this executive function is basically gutted. Right. At that, they have teenagers in that age group have very deep executive function issues. And, well, and they have one. Well, 
teenage teenage years have deep yes and they also have so many different types of pressures and distressors on that impulse control system and executive functioning system of the frontal lobe. It's, it's, you know, it's identifying who one is at the time. It's making decisions. It's becoming autonomous and independent at the age appropriateness. It's learning to function multitask. It's logic and abstract reasoning come into play yep. that were never there before because developmentally it hadn't been wired in yet. And the self-image is it's being bombarded. All the self-image yeah. stuff is, is being bombarded because yeah. everything that was previous there is now is now amplified because puberty and hormones will push all those all the strengths and all the weaknesses of that personality and that developed or underdeveloped self-esteem piece yep. so there's a lot going on there so you add in a medication like a stimulant or something like that which there's nothing wrong with it if as long as you're you know you're, you're being mindful of it but it but it's definitely brain changing and just knowing it. It's, so it's not about not having the medication. It's about being educated and mindful and aware so that you're making a good decision yep. for your child if it's a child. And you're also making a good decision for listening to how it makes your child feel and not just slapping a bandaid on and not doing any of the behavioral techniques that really work. But how many times the kids end up on these medications because they're going to their own general practitioner, practitioner and oh, by the way, at the end of it, oh, by the way, doc, my kids having troubles focusing in school. Mm -hmm. We'll give them this. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's the extent of the evaluation. That's nuts. Yes. That's crazy. Yes. Well, and it's interesting because I, I will ask um, when I first, like if I'm doing a consult on, on a kid and I'm asked, you know, one that's one of the first questions I say is who did the eval on this? Because there, there's a specific eval that we do as diagnosticians and assessors in psych. Never happens in a GP ADD. office. That never happens. Uh -uh. Yeah. And, you know, they go through a checklist. Yeah. But so I always ask, I already know the answer, you know, yeah. don't ask a question <laughs> if you try to, right? Yeah. So, but I know the answer typically. And on occasion, I'm surprised because I'll actually get a little bit more detailed one. But more often than not, it's just like, well, I did a checklist and my parents or, they, you know, someone at school did a checklist, which is called the Connors. It's a quick checklist for school oh, really? and home. Yeah. Yep. And then, okay, so, yeah, everybody's on board. We're all seeing that this is the same issue. And so, therefore, we just slap on, you know, Ritalin. <coughs> I'm like, well, we need a full yeah. psych battery on that to really figure that out. And, you know. But too many people are too willing for the instant fix. Yes. It's, it's the message they want to hear. Right. Give them the pill. He'll be okay. Right. And that'll solve all these problems I've been having for the last two grades. Right. 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 And it's not the way it works. Right. And, yeah. and, and people don't realize like it's a very slippery slope because once you start down on that road of a stimulant, um, it often doesn't end with just that one because usually now here's where the brain changes. The brain changes in, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15, the dosing now doesn't work the same way. Because right. why? Because the endocrine system, the hormonal system has changed and the way the body is metabolizing that now isn't working quite in the same way, which happens to all of us. We start it's, metabolizing things yeah. differently. So now it's we've got placing smaller orders because it doesn't need to, it's getting supplied. Right. Yeah. Now, so now it's going to be yeah. bumped around, but yeah. typically nobody bumps it around. They just keep going. And so then I get more reports in my practice of like struggles. Hmm. Why? And I'm always like, it's probably we need a medication check. And we go back and if it's the primary care, they won't go past what they're comfortable with, which is I give this, this, and this, and this is the only dose I give and that's it. Yeah. So then we have to go to a, a child psychiatrist. And so we have to go, it's almost like we're backing up the process that should have been put in place in the first place. It's frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> There should never be never be medication for a kid without an evaluation. And again, not what happens in the GP's office. Right. Well, and, and, and GPs are great. Yeah, uh, I was going to say, you know. well, it has to go. I think it's I think that one of the one of the nicest practices around and this is kind of, you know, I similarly run my practice like this is more of like a concierge practice. I try to make sure I maintain um, connection to kids doctors if they're on those kinds of things yep. if if i can so that we're having a back and forth dialogue of like because i'm more on the evaluative i'm treating but i'm also on the kid side diagnostically and evaluating to make mm -hmm. sure that we're really treating what is wrong not just throwing something at a symptom um so that it's somehow supporting the the treatment protocol i'm doing with them um so you know less is more i try to keep kids to have their doctor keep it less, you know, or things that are not addictive.
the there are things like for ADD world, there are things that you can take that, yeah, they're not as fun in terms of like the quick fix, but they have no addictive properties and they will help calm the brain. It's just in a different way than the other ones. And they calm it in a way that's not rewiring it in the same way as those yeah. other drugs would be doing. Um, you know, any substance you're putting in, including sugar, is rewiring your brain. But these are, there are ways to go about it. And in general, practitioners don't know all those things because, and they would, admittedly, I've had many conversations over the years with them saying, I have no idea about psych. I just know this drug and it's, that's your wheelhouse. Yep. So, you know, I end up doing a consult to children's hospital yep. or ch trying to figure out what we're going to do about that because, you know, we don't want the kid on these things and they're like, three o'clock in the afternoon, Ritalin's worn off and they're sleeping. Part of the problem, I think, and it's it's true with physical injuries, I'm guessing it's true with psych too, is that you're, like for example, when I had that surgery and they're giving me seven days of Vicodin, the pain expectation is zero. So right. Why can't you have a little pain? Right. You exactly. know, or, or a kid rolls an ankle and they want to give him an opiate, you know, high ankle sprain, they want to give him an opiate. Well, let him have a little pain. I don't want him debilitated. Right. I don't want him aching, but right. there's no reason he has to be totally drugged out of the pain it's kind of the same thing with psych drugs isn't it right well there should be a little bit of a struggle it's okay to have a little bit of a struggle well yeah and so the, uh, yes in my yeah. the way i was trained i was trained at mclean hospital and and i worked there for many years as a director of rehab at the geriatric unit mm -hmm. um for the rehab special care unit for yeah. alzheimer's and dementia many many years ago and um uh, and uh, I was just thinking, oh, I was a rehab coordinator. It was so much fun. I'm sorry. I just had a little moment in my head. Um, but our model, and that's why I loved, and that's where my whole underside of being holistic, although people would be like, oh, it's a medical model hospital because it's Harvard and it's, you know, um, Mass General. It really looks at less is more yeah. and really takes into account that we we don't want to overstress or over push a drug. And I don't know if we were talking about this, but the show Dopes It came out a while ago. If you've seen it, have you seen it? I haven't seen it. No. Oh, okay. Watch it. Yep. Please watch it. Binge it. It's amazing because it's like right on point. And um, so Dopes It is about the time when Oxycontin and Purdue Pharma came out. And um, I was working at McLean Hospital at the time. And I very specifically remember, and, and for everyone that doesn't know on the backside of how pharmaceutical pharmaceutical companies worked back in the day, this is in the 90s, they would come in, they would bring these extravagant lunches for us, or they'd take us down to the seaport in Boston and have like yeah. a full day conference on their newest medications coming out, blah, 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 to pump us up for like, okay, and it didn't matter, it was from, it was from top dog all the way down to like the mental health workers, you know, that were like, just, you know, helping, you know, making sure that people stayed active on the, on the floors and the units right. and anyone could come, but it was really geared towards um, the medical doctors and the psych personnel yeah. um, doctors and the other way. The assigners of medication. Right. Yeah. And, um, and I remember them bringing in Oxycontin and I remember very vividly and when you watch Dopesick, you'll have a better frame of reference. But in Dopesick, it the big thing was they were saying FDA approved that there's no, there's not going to be any addiction less than one percent, and that was touted over and over again. And I remember sitting at a lunch with my my supervisor slash boss at the time, and he and I, I just remember he, he and I like, it's an opiate, and. And, you know, the scuttlebutt around the table is like, it's an opiate. There's no way that that can yeah. possibly be. So flat out, thank God, we as a team for our unit, and I think at the hospital, the whole probably at the time, because we didn't do it, we rejected the samples. We rejected Purdue Pharma. We rejected like the whole, that whole thing, knowing that there's no way an opiate can tout that. Even with, if you even looked at the grids, we were all looking at them and all these like scales and like, it was like, it's too good to be true. It's too good to be true kind of thing. And, 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 you know, obviously spin forward the nineties into the, you know, that whole set of the nineties years was just, it wreaked havoc on people yep. for addiction. It got people that were not in addiction into addiction. It brought into a whole new realm of, um, doctor seeking med seeking jumping you know especially for people who are more addictive in nature and it really 
did so much damage to, I think, the profession in, in medication because now so many people seek out like quick fix, quick fix, quick fix. Yeah. So, of course, they had to re redo oxys and now you get oxycodone. It's very limited. You know, I mean, there's a reason why CVS puts up we do not have oxycontin on site. <laughs> I mean, there's a reason because yep. it's a, it's a problem, um, but it's to the point. Well, the, of, soci the societal damage was devastating. Well, I mean, that and that's and that's yeah. the thing is that it's not. There is no there is no opiated anything that's going to be non problematic. It just isn't that way. And uh, you know, and people want to use the you know medical assisted treatments that are opiated. Okay, that's fine. But realizing that an opiate is an opiate is an opiate. Something like naltrexone or Vivitrol, things that are blockers so that you don't have any cravings. There's no, um, there's no uh, um, side effects of addiction. There's no long-term effects in terms of GI stuff. All that, that's all fine. But when you add in like methadone, suboxone, subutex, yeah. sublocate this newest, like I call it the Oxycontin thing. It's the same thing. Um, it's all the same stuff. It's getting people who are not in their right minds to buy into something that seems because it's legally prescribed that you're not understanding. It's rewiring your brain to not be able to do what it needs to do on its own. And when you do that to a kid or you're doing that to someone who can't make their right yep. choices, that's really it's a, I just ask people to educate themselves before they jump on that stuff. And I understand people don't want to die. But you have to realize on those things, you can die. That's why they have Narcan now. This is um, it's like it's a very, very vicious cycle. This is exhibit, exhibit one of advocating for yourself medically, because what happened was the guardians that was that we trusted to be in between us for this type of thing made decisions based on other things other than medical. There's a lot of that going on. So you can't. Right. You shouldn't take a drug because the doctor says you should. Right. You shouldn't take a drug because the FDA says it's safe because you can't trust the FDA and the doctors don't have the whole story. Or at least don't do it just based on that. Triangulate it. Get some other opinions. Well, right. I, yeah, because I, I was going to say, I wouldn't go as far as I can't trust certain, like the doctor or the FDA. It was more about find out more information than just saying, oh, I'm going to take it. Because I ask, Lou, I ask so many people in my practice, like, so what do you know about your medication? I have m many times patients can't tell me what they're taking. They don't know the name. They don't know how much. They don't know what it does. They don't know why they started it. They just knew that they trusted the doctor and the doctor knew what they were doing. Worse, they're doing oh, this with their kids. They right. don't they don't know what the kids are taking. They don't right. know what it does. They right. don't know. I, right. Yeah. Well, you can't expect if they don't know for themselves, why would they know? Right, exactly. Kids? You I know, mean, and sometimes I have kids that will actually know more than the adult that they're getting it from. Oh, sure. They get on their the, phone and and they they're like, yeah. Oh, I know. And then they'll and they advocate for themselves because they'll be like, I Yeah, because then we're that. back to WebMD and with you know, and right. they're getting these, you know just it, it web and you freak out yes well you're gonna, i understand its purpose gonna kill you. yeah you're, everything's gonna yeah. kill you i i have a lovely patient who i've told her to stop doctor googling everything and that if she has a question yeah. to please ask me and i will send her to the right person to ask if i don't know the answer because it's well if you go down that it's well it's really easy and it's right. not just webmd it's the entire it's, internet right well yeah. and, and i think one of the well, i'll pick on wikipedia wikipedia is not your good source of information. Right. You know, it's good for pop culture crap, but you know, if you want to know if you've got it, essentially, if you look up something, you're always going to have cancer Yes, and you're dying yep. and you're, and it's going to happen imminently today. Yeah. Well, yeah, that was it. I got, I got a, <laughs> I got a blood panel back and my CO2 is a little low and I'm going to, what the hell does that mean? Mm -hmm. And I'm going, and you know, it didn't take long, two or three pulls and you eh, possible cancer. It's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So, well, so it's, it's about educating yourselves correctly, um, seeing good science and, and, and good science is all out there. And if you look for others, the, the bad stuff's out there too, and you can buy into that too, you know? So it's, it's about getting as much information so you can see, okay, well, a hundred studies say this, but five say that let's go with the hundred studies. However, not in the case of Oxycontin. <laughs> And as you're dealing with pediatricians yes. and as you get older in life, this codependency on the medical profession right. becomes prominent and you are more susceptible to drop your advocacy and drop your self-boundaries because the you want to keep a relationship. You don't want to piss off the doctor because you didn't take it as advice. Well, and and so in, in recent- Or challenge them. You well, don't want to in challenge recent, them. And in recent, yeah. like in my current 
past few weeks of like having some patients in, in hospitals and so on, that's one of the biggest problems is that the patient has felt, um, a cup, I spoke to two patients yesterday that felt that they, uh, were, if they spoke up while inpatient, that they would be retaliated against and withheld from and discharged early. And that scared them because they weren't ready to go. That's a terrible place to yeah. be. Um, to have that happen and and then and have the feeling of not being able to have a voice i mean and especially when you're when you're in a um a dependent relationship to the fact that that's where the medications that these people are putting them on are stuck so if a person and now add in a person has like an inferiority complex like a feeling of feeling less than you know that they're not they're not truly inferior yeah. but they have that feeling of like i don't deserve i shouldn't ask i shouldn't i shouldn't i don't deserve to ask for what i need because you know they know best all that which is many people now you've got this double or triple whammy on a person that they feel so stuck that they can't yeah. They can't get out of it. And if they're on something like that's mind altering, like, you know, a, a benzo or an opiate or, you know, something that's a, a mean of any kind or or barbiturate or something like that, that's very hard to make a good decision without someone that would be willing to help you make a good decision based on all the facts. And, and that and it's my colleagues and I call it the, the hospitals that are like the mothership. They just want you to come back over and over again because, because, yep. you know, and, and unfortunately it, it gets people who are in serious codependency issues with themselves anyways, that it's more likely to pull on, on that heartstring and people need the help. So I need you to need me to need you. So come to me. And it's, it's, it's very unhealthy. Well, what's more, what are you more codependent on than your own, you know, clinging to life, right? Right. You'll make decisions to survive. Again, yeah. And you don't have the wherewithal to make educated decisions. You're in a relationship with this doctor or in this hospital and they're telling you something and it's a huge hassle and it's an aggravation to get those second and third opinions. Because, mm -hmm. you, know, you right. know, if I'm not going to treat you, what are you doing here? Right. Exactly. Yeah. And well, and then you have the then you have the the ego. Yeah. Oh, sure. The ego of the doctor that gets in the way, unfortunately. And it gets in that it goes back to the top of the show of like, you know, being able to advocate for yourself in any, whether it's, you know, your kid in a school system or you in a hospital system or you in your own business life. And it's, you know, and it's not about being hostile. It's about being assertive, just asking good questions. You have a right to ask questions. You have a right to knowledge. You have a right to say no. Yep. You have a right to have someone talk to you or speak for you if you feel like you're overwhelmed with it. So just having those thoughts and considerations for yourself that, um, you know, given our codependency conversation last week, that this is such an important piece to become interdependent. Asking for help doesn't mean you're codependent. Asking for help that's got good boundaries where the person's not like overriding your life and making your decisions for you. Um, asking for help is totally reasonable and should be there because that's what makes you interdependent, which is our goal is be able to function on your own, but at times having to say, what do you think? What would be your thought? And then taking that in your own mind and making a good decision off of that, not just relying on someone to do that for you. Yeah. And it's hard. There's so many examples of this. In and the unfortunately, world. everybody's forced to its cookie cutter. If, if you're in a hospital, they give you X amount of days, for whatever condition you're going. Another treatment may be a better treatment for you. Will take longer. They won't do it because right. uh, they'll resist doing it. Right. Because no, I haven't got. Uh, you've only got two days here on this. Right. I got to get this. I got to get these levels to a certain level right. within two days. Right. Or or if there's. In certain cases, there's often like these newfangled meds that come out. So they'll want to have these protocols put in place so they can keep you longer because they make more money. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, so something that could have taken five days is now at 20 yeah. because, you know, but it was never supposed to be that way. And then had the patient known, they wouldn't have done that. So, I mean, you're, most, you're at your most vulnerable point. And you have to take your hands off the wheel. And it's just it's never right to take your hands off your own wheel. Right. Yeah. Exactly. You steer the ship. I mean, right. take advice and weigh advice accordingly, but right. Yeah. Ultimately, you got to be making a decision, or you might have a problem with that relationship. Right. Yeah. Right. And especially in a power differential relationship where they have um, the ability to, you know, midstream say, "Well, you're out," because I don't like the way that you don't like the way that I'm doing something. 
right? Yep. It's awful. Um, so anyway, so we've covered the codependency piece and we've covered <laughs> that across the board for self-advocacy. And um, so the the last little piece of that, this, this week's show was really talking about um, looking at how do you feel about like your own self-esteem and like that in like the inferiority piece like you can be you can feel inferior and you can actually just have an inferiority complex and there's a little bit difference it's you know it, you, feeling inferior might have some actual you know like i i didn't i don't always make 100s in school i make 80s so i feel inferior so there's legitimate like okay sure. well it's less yep. than that are that are real examples um but don't necessarily become who the person is but then there's that piece where inferiority complex is that that true feeling of uh you know it's the underside of narcissism it's that i have to boost myself up to make myself feel better or look better because i am lacking because I feel so damaged inside, but it's too painful to look at. I don't want anyone to see it. And I yep. don't want it to be transparent, which always is. Um, and that's where that, uh, the ego, remember the ego being the reality manager. It's yep. everything that we know in our own reality and our perception is our ego. So if I think that, you know, if I think you think I'm, you know, not very smart, even though that might not be true, and that's my reality, I'm going to act a certain way in front of you that makes me either look not as smart or really try to over talk you and be like super smart right. um just as an example but i think that there's uh, the reason why this came up in my head last week after the codependent conversation was i think i've noticed more of a trend in the pandemic times of people's inferiority complex being reinforced more because they've been isolated and and what are your thoughts on that that's it's a really interesting subject because your self-image and I was, it's funny, I was having this discussion with my daughter who was having trouble with a friend mm -hmm. and their relationship. And I said, listen, you got to conserve your mental energy. You've mm -hmm. got to understand that people are who they are. They're going to react the way they are. It doesn't change who you are and what you're doing. You know, try to protect yourself. But by the same token, what I know, and we talked about it was I have people in my life that I can't protect myself from. In other words, they push right. my buttons. Right. There are certain people in everybody's life that they push your buttons. Yep, yeah, I got some of those. Yeah. Yeah. But you got people who can say, to use your example, people who can act towards you like you're stupid and you don't care. You just keep walking. It's like they are who they are. Right. But there's always a person in your life, a couple of people in your life that when they say it, it just really gets you going and you can't shield yourself from it. Right. Because you've made more meaning of the association to what they think versus the other person. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yes. So you... you if we'll assume that sometimes it's the environment that you're in that you need a better like if it's a workplace and someone right. who you're working with right and they're constantly making you look or feel inferior in that work environment right. you need to be in, you need to be in a better spot in that environment you need to be more confident you need to have a better image in that so we have to have, yeah, you have to have a it. better internal self-image yeah. that you're not the things that are being said absolutely but that's tough. It's hard. It is. Because some people push your button. Right. But the thing is, is if that's happening inside internally in that, it's probably happening for that person other places too, because there's something about that, that, you know, it's probably pushed somewhere else because it's usually grown and bred in yep. childhood. And it's underneath there that certain types of triggering people will do that to you or that will make you feel that way. And, and so they'll create that self-doubt. That's what gaslighting does. Yes. So that's that, you know, people who are, who have that lower self-esteem are so vulnerable to gaslighting. And um, some people hit that childhood wound, which, yeah. which is the deep one that and, everybody's still struggling with. Right. But again, at certain points with certain people in certain relationships and certain circumstances, you may have learned the skill to just w keep walking. Right. Which is a very valuable skill. Right. But And see, that's the thing. Isn't that the thing with mental health? People think that it's absolute and it's not. Right. You have good days. You have bad days. Right. You're in good places some days. You're in good places with some relationships. You're not in good places with others. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And well, and it's such a it's such a misnomer that people say, "I just want to feel good all the time." And I I always say, "I'm going to burst your bubble." <laughs> and I and, because that's not how that's not life on life's terms. Every day is not like this happy, happy, happy. It's oh, I woke up and it was really good this morning. And now, you know, midday, you know, I had like a chat with someone. Eh. And then by, you know, afternoon later, oh, it's good again. Or, you know, now I'm tired. Tonight. Like you, you have to know that it, it <clears throat> waxes and wanes and ebbs and flows. But people do have this thought in their head 
that is all or nothing. Yep. So because say um, I have a client that feels miserable a lot of the time. So when they feel happy, they're like, oh, that happiness is so wonderful. I wish I could feel that all the time. So their aim is to feel that way, to replace all the feelings of misery with that. And I always say that their bar is set too high, not because they shouldn't set their bar to get happier, but their bar is set to be happy all the time. And that's impossible because that's not how life goes. And their mindset is, is that's what, that's the goal. And that can't be it's not realistic. It's not realistic, reasonable, and rational to have that right. goal. It just isn't. And but I, you know, here's to the social media thing: is you watch social media, you watch television, you watch all these things, and all these people are happy. Yeah. You know, um, I have multiple clients that watch. You know, the housewives of blank, blank, blank. You know, fill in the blank: Atlanta, Georgia, um, California, whatever. All of them. And they think that's real life, and these women are happy, and then they have these cat fights, and then they're happy, and they're. I'm like. That is not real, yes. but that's what their fantasy life has now shaped their ego into thinking that if I don't have this, this, then that means that I'm nowhere near my happiness. And um, my prescription for that is always stop watching those shows because <laughs> it's giving a false sense of, of reality. And it's already feeding into the reality that you, that you're struggling with in your own self-esteem anyway, because you don't have the Rolls Royce and a driver and a million dollars to go on a two day vacation on a yacht. And yep. like, this isn't happy, but they say, Oh, but I get happy watching it. I'm like, it's yeah, funny how much that drives it. I used to right. laugh about the Dick Van Dyke model. Yes. And it's like a lot of people grew up that their household is supposed to be Dick Van Dyke's house. That's supposed to or be like, a marriage. Leave it to beaver. I'll leave it to beaver. Yeah. The wife shows up with a dress and pearls for dinner when the husband gets home from, yeah. Right. It's like, no, it's not, it's not the way it is, but that's the way we were raised. And, and, that model is there and we compare everything to that model. That right. was the social media of the time, I guess. Right. But, well, and I think that that's... And so you're going to be, if you're comparing your life and your your current relationship with, you know, with Dick Van Dyke, then the Dick Van Dyke show, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be living disappointment all the time because it doesn't way, none work None of my like young that. listeners have any idea. I know. I understand. <laughs> but yes. Well, you were going for the, today it's negative examples. It's, right. It's, you know, or it's, it's negative examples with the yachts and with the, you know, yeah, that's uh, well, travel and all well, that stuff. Well, yeah. that's yeah, because it's not real. It's not real life, and yeah. it's something. Yeah, you, you can aspire to it. And I want people to dream. I call it dream building. It's like yeah, dream build to want want to have a yacht, want to have a million dollars, want to work hard to get something in return, because um, that builds your self esteem and self worth. But also know that that's a you know, it's like being on the U.S. women's team. There's not a million gymnasts on it. There's thirty, and then there's one percent of all the gymnasts. You know, it's this, it's teeny little bits you know everyone wants to go to hollywood and be a star and they're all going to be famous no it's that little teeny one percent of the one percent that make that and and realizing that you can pursue that and still be happy but the happiness can't come from this end result of being mega wealthy or or superstar fame status it has to be somewhere in there you have to find your happiness in the journey because you don't know where the journey is going to take you to end and and the end is really death because you're on the journey the whole time. And people are always looking for the end. When I hit this point, I'm going to feel good. And, you know, it goes back to, well, if I had, if I won the lottery, I'd be happy. Hmm. Externalizing the happiness. Right. And when you get, you know, whether it's being on the Olympic team or being a movie star, you right. get there and it makes you happy in some ways, but it doesn't, it doesn't level out all your problems in your life. It right. doesn't make your entire life perfect. Right. It's it, that's not the way it goes. It, it's in, that it, bliss is internal. It's not external. Right. right. And ha I think happiness that, versus bliss. And I, and I believe that when, you know, a lot of times it's driven by money, for instance, like when someone's financially struggling and if only I had the money that that's that mindset of it's, well, it's, it's the quick fix. It's the drug. It's the codependency piece or the relationship addiction to I'm in a, I'm in a, less wealthy spot than I'd like to be. And the cure would be to, to take the pill of getting wealthy. Therefore it would fix it. When in fact, no. And I make out, you know, make out points to people about like, look at all the people that are really wealthy. Look at all the problems. I'm like Kim Kardashian, God love her, sort of <laughs> not, but you know, Kim Kardashian, she's got tons of money. Look at all the problems she has. She's got marital problems. She's got family issues. She's yeah. probably got other issues that we don't even know about. And that's it. I mean, money doesn't make, you know, Richard Branson, Elon Musk, people, yep. I mean, he, he's, he may be wealthy, but he's a hot mess. Yep. 
you know, and admittedly he's a hot mess. And so because to get that wealthy, it takes a sacrifice of self. It takes it. It takes the exact equation we're talking about right. where the money was more important than mental well-being. self self-advocacy right. and well-being and boundaries. Right. Exactly. And not in all cases. Certainly I'm saying these in generalities. Your that, boy, Tom. Yeah. Gave up his kid's childhood to, to play to 45. Okay, that's not really true. <laughs> I Stop. Know. I know. I'm just that is not true. <laughs> His kids are just fine. You're so awful. <laughs> just having fun. You just you just had to get that in there. Yeah, you just, just having you know, fun. You found a spot. You well, know, no, had... supposedly that's the struggle right now. <sighs> supposedly that's his retirement. Well, yeah. The family needs me. Well, and he's also doing a you know a movie. But I know, I understand. So and other things. Yeah. Um. So anyway, so this is a fascinating topic. Yeah. And last week's show generated all of this for this week, which is why I revisited it because it was so talked about and chatted about last week. And so and I, I think everybody's got it to an extent. Every everyone's it's part of everybody's makeup. There there is some level of codependency that everyone can self can identify with. Um, yeah, well, if you don't, and everybody has a little bit of everything, everyone has a little OCD, everyone has a little bit of anxiety, oh, yeah. everybody has a little bit of, you know, phobia, everyone has a little bit of everything, but it's a matter of how bad does it get and how much does it impact your functioning? And then how do you function despite the dysfunction is how really you clear it through. So really quickly, I just saw that a whole bunch of people, particularly particularly people in my family were listening today. Yes. Hey, you guys better be listening to this really great because this, you know, no codependency issues. I don't want to deal with that with all of you. <laughs> and good morning to Amy. Um, thank you for listening um, to my show this morning, Amy. And uh, thank you. Uh, yeah. So you guys, it's time to say goodbye for the week. <laughs> We'll be um, back next week. Yes, we will be back next week. And you guys go out and have your best selves, wellness, health, no codependency, no inferiority. Advocate for yourself. Advocate, advocate. All right, Hun. Bye.